Across America and around the world, famous vintners and favorite destinations. We share the stories behind the wines. Welcome to Vintage, hosted by the voice of wine, Brian Bushlack. And after a trip to Florida and the Naples Winter Wine Festival, we go coast to coast and stop in one of my favorite places, Carlsbad, California. You know, the San Diego area is known as a big beer market, thanks in large part to the surfer lifestyle. But wine is definitely on the rise here. Temecula Wine Country, just an hour away, and one of California's rock star winemakers pouring where the people are in the beach cities north of San Diego. Adam Carruth has Carruth Cellars in Solana Beach, and his urban tasting room in Carlsbad is one of, if not the best tasting room experience I have ever had. And I've been around the country a few times. Great atmosphere, killer music selection, and a wide variety of fine wines. The business model is perfect. Source the best fruit from vineyards across the West, produce a variety of varietals, and have fun doing it. Something Adam Carruth and his team have perfected over the years. Adam, thanks for joining us. What a beautiful facility. Uh, We're going to talk about that here in just a sec, but I want to hear your backstory. Obviously, you have to have a passion for wine to get into the business in the first place. How did you develop that passion for wine? Out of college, I was a brewer for about six or seven years, and my parents were really upset with me messing up the kitchen every year. And at some point, I was in my early 20s, and I was like, well, I'm going to do something different with my life. I had a background in horticulture from UC Riverside and decided to go back to college and study viticulture. And I was up in a great area up in uh, West Sonoma County and went to Santa Rosa JC, just studied viticulture. And the connections I developed there in 1998 pretty much built the whole business. And we're still getting grapes from some of the same families I w- that I was getting when I was a home winemaker. 2006 was our first professional vintage, and it takes a long time. You, you make the wine, it sits around, ages for a couple of years, then it hits the market about you know 24 months later. So by 2009, I had my own facility in Solana Beach. I have a real estate background, so I, I was able to kind of recognize where the old industrial but retail areas were, and that's what really is the... The foundation of the business is putting the urban winery in the right location and people who like the wine near the coast and I'm bringing in good grapes. So it's, it's worked out pretty well. It sure has. I want to talk about that urban winery concept more in just a little bit, but uh, you kind of glossed over. You were fast forwarding over history there. So you were making, <laughs> you were making wine and obviously not making a lot of it initially and you were getting good reviews it sounds like from your friends and family right yeah um actually the manager of this location was one of my biggest supporters dawn graham she she invited me to have a wine party at her house we went out paired all these different cheeses and at the end of the party people were like yeah you should do this so i just was really uh supported by my friends and my family to, to go forward with the wine business and and I'm fairly ambitious so I just went for it and I bought 30 barrels the first year filled those with Dry Creek Zinfandel and uh, Alexander Valley Cab and some Malbec and some Pinot Noir from Mendocino and I just kind of went for it and and then 
I did that again the next year in 2007 at a facility called 50 Barrels, which was a pretty supportive business. They had four or five different wineries within there to help like pay their rent. And by the third year or fourth year, I was ready to go out on my own. And that's when we made 100 barrels down in Solana Beach. Well, I'm sipping this Chardonnay as we do this interview. This is not your grandma's Chardonnay, that's for sure. We're going to talk about that coming up in our tasting room segment in about 10, 15 minutes. But uh, you got the horticulture background. You've got good DNA. You're a brewer. You're in California. you got great contacts. You start making wine. People are liking it. Okay, this is a good thing. When did you realize, like, hey, I'm on to something here, and, you know, I'm a real estate guy, but... This wine thing might be a career for me. Well, I don't want to incriminate myself, but <laughs> basically at the end of that cheese party that Don threw for me, we were ready to, we just said, yes, we're going to do this. And you go online, I don't want to give away all my secrets here, but like you go on to winebusiness.com, people are always selling good fruit. There's an abundance of quality fruit um, across the West Coast, pretty much what Washington, Oregon, and California. I don't know, I'm personable, I give them a call send them a deposit and uh, a lot of my grape contracts were developed that way okay. yeah, and we're getting some of the same fruit as like some pretty famous winemakers and that's really you know I, I'm not saying I can make wine like Screaming Eagle but it's like some of the same sources uh, we have the same sources Silver Oak and Duckhorn and which those are all famous brands so Working with the same fruit and taking care of it in French oak at the right temperatures, and it works out. So we have the Temecula wine region, which is an absolutely amazing area that is growing, right? But, you know, I, I guess conventional wisdom would be, hey, you get your fruit there, right? It's close by, but you don't, right? A lot of your fruit comes from some big-time vineyards in Sonoma and Napa, right? Yeah, I made Barbera in Temecula back in 2001. And that's kind of a funny story because I um, I went out there. Ben Drake is a major player out there. He sells grapes. And he sold me a half a ton of Barbera. It turned out there was about 1,300 pounds in there. And I was experimenting as in the early days, and I ice back the wine. I was like trying to do a cold soak. So I used actually ice instead of dry ice. I diluted the batch down to a sugar level I wasn't happy with. And I was like, well, shoot. Um, so I went out to Temecula and bought another half ton, which is another heavy half ton. Yep. So I'm, I'm, instead of making basically one barrel of wine, I made four barrels of Barbera. So right out of the gate, I had something to share with friends and family and colleagues and some of that wine went to 50 barrels and some of it went to pizza the pizza port owner gina so it was just kind of like you're in there with uh you're in a community with brewers and other winemakers and so it just like it just started taking off it's kind of created its own synergy well i know we can hear the music in the background some great music a great vibe urban winery here in carlsbad which is a great community and for our listeners who have not been here, you know, a lot of people come down here on vacations with their families, but this this community is really special and has really grown. And, I mean, this facility we're in here really showcases that, doesn't it? 
The Quonset Project is that's where we are here. Is one of the newer uh, restaurant, winery, coffee shop locations in Carlsbad Village. So they're great neighbors to have. We're open from 12 to 10 every day. Being open past 5 o'clock is pretty atypical for a winery, and we do about 70% of our sales after 5 o'clock. I figure that people who can afford a good bottle of wine work for a living, and wineries that close at 5 o'clock kind of miss that market. And and we're we're enjoying that. And uh, our neighbors at Campfire, they're making some really good, like, uh, you know, interesting food, and it's, like, like, very high-end. So they bring probably... I don't know, about 40% of my customers right to my front door. It's a good symbiotic relationship, right? That would be the big word I'm looking for because, I mean, it's a good relationship with Campfire, right? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, they've been super supportive. And, again, like all their marketing feeds the whole project. So, yeah, it's been great. Talk about the urban winery concept. I know you started this down in Solana Beach. Then you came to Carlsbad. So you had... A testing ground, a proving ground in Solana Beach before you opened this location. So you knew you were onto something, but you know that's a great concept in Southern California, right? I mean, because you are where the people are, right? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know the exact demographics. I never did the study, but the money's at the coast. And back in 2000, I I worked at uh, Witch Creek Winery, which is in town here. They didn't really market it as an urban winery, kind of like how uh, Santa Barbara has the Funk Zone and the Presidio. They have a ton of activity. They're bringing grapes from Santa Inez and Santa Rita Hills. So Santa Barbara is really a business model you can get your wrap your head around. People understand Santa Barbara has wine. Down in San Diego, it's all about beer. A lot of the breweries are opening up in um, Class A industrial complexes, and that's what has been really driving that industry. So we basically started copying them. Oceanside Ale Works opened back in 2006 in the Rancho del Oro area of Oceanside. And my uh, one of my mentors and friends, Jim Hart, said, you should start a winery next to that brewery. That day we went down there, it was Mother's Day, having a beer with my mom, and Within like about three or four weeks, we were like getting that all tied up, and we started making wine next to that brewery back in 2007, and that was 50 barrels. We found the market to be better near the coast, so Solana Beach has the same old zoning to allow for production and, and distribution, and so it, it just came together. I mean, it hasn't been like easy, I would say, but it's it, it, the pieces of the puzzle have all come together to make it work. And it's still it's still growing. Like we have about twenty five hundred wine club members. We opened a place in Little Italy called the Wine Garden, that features actually really good charcuterie and uh, like high end cheeses. So that, that we're kind of going toward that direction where we have like complimentary food with our wine. So that's Adam Caruth at Caruth Cellars in Carlsbad, California. They're having a big release party in Solana Beach in a couple weeks. More on that coming up here on Vintage. Thank you for downloading Vintage, hosted by the voice of wine, Brian Bushlack. Well, Caruth Cellars showing no bias, selecting the best fruit from across the West, Oregon Pinot Noir, the top producers in California, and trucking those grapes to the San Diego area, to make some very impressive wines. And I asked Adam why he chose this approach. 
Well, I always say I'm a kind of a label lover, so I won't buy an obscure varietal for an obscure appellation. I try to like make those two things match. So every, when you think of Napa, you think of Cabernet Sauvignon. I learned most of my, what I know from Sonoma, so I've just stuck with Sonoma. Hillsburg is like kind of like the uh, epicenter of good appellations that come together. We've picked up some really good ones over the last few years. Uh, Knights Valley is like great for Merlot and Malbec. Uh, we're also getting some cab out of there. We got some rock pile. These are like kind of hidden gems, but those are all kind of connected to Dry Creek, Alexander Valley. We're making Pine Mountain cab now. We got 15 tons of that this year. That came in. It's beautiful. Russian River, Chalk Hill. So we're just kind of like looking around the Hillsburg area to get the grapes. And we've increased our quantity by like two or three. So we're getting like 13 tons of Cab Franc from Chalk Hill and Alexander Valley Cab. We got like 18 tons and Syrah and Petite Syrah. We kind of do... Well, we do all like major five major Bordeaux varietals. Uh, we do uh, some of the Rhone varietals like Syrah, Grenache. Sometimes we do Mavedra. And then we do Italian. We do a Sangiovese. We do Zinfandel. We do Barbera. So we kind of like, because we have a monthly wine club, we kind of have to like play the whole spectrum of, of varietals. We have to have like, we can't just be a Pinot house or a Chardonnay house. And it's not really, my interests have always been in, in making a lot of different wines and uh, I think Hart Winery in Temecula was kind of like like Jim Hart Joe Hart their mentors and they were doing that Witch Creek was doing that they were making just all different types of wine it's kind of like our that's our shtick really is just getting the really good grapes and bringing it down here to the coast and making it and you know, giving it some love and I know you're growing every year but it probably helps in terms of sourcing this quality fruit you're not going in there asking for all of it you're asking for you know, I mean, you're, you're, it's growing, right? But, I mean, you're, you're asking for some here and some there, right? Well, it's funny because if you you want to get the whole vineyard, if you can, so that no one else gets it. It's a little uh, ambitious, or, or, or I don't think it's greedy, but if I, if I were to say, oh, I only want 12 tons of your 15 tons that they need to sell because the grower needs to sell it, then you'd have someone who wants three tons. And well, for sure, next year they're going to want five tons, and then I would I would get ten tons. So a lot of times I just say, like, kind of go for it. We just picked up some Glenelg and Sangiovese, which I was kind of on the fence on when I tasted through it. We actually went up there and tasted through the vineyard, and and uh, but when it came in, it was stellar. And so we're just making some killer Glenelg and Sangiovese now. And um, I could go down the whole list of uh, different vineyards where we're working with where we try to help the growers especially when there's a bumper year to take what they have so that they don't have to look for other winemakers to take their products uh, again to create competition for following years so it's an interesting part um of the business is filling up a refrigerated truck and bringing it down and i don't know if i explained that perfectly but um but it is an interesting thing we do we do we do kind of uh go for it when it comes to the our increased production Good to know. This is a great atmosphere at Caruth Cellars here in Carlsbad. We're going to taste through some wines here in just a sec. But uh, talk about that business model. There are so many different business models in the wine industry. You have estate wineries where they grow the fruit there. It's all their fruit. They manage it. There are winemakers out there every day. And then you've got other models like yours or uh, many of the wineries across Washington State where they're sourcing fruit from growers on the other side of a mountain or in another region away, and they're relying on those growers 
to do their job, and that's obviously what you're doing. So you know in Napa Valley and Sonoma, you got people that really know what they're doing with their, their vineyards, right? I mean, it's definitely a labor of love. If you read the back of our label, it gives tribute to the growers. They usually, 90% of the time, they're giving, trying to give you the best product that nature can provide. You don't have to worry about it. That's all you need to say about it is you just sit back and make great wines. And uh, <laughs> the Chardonnay is one of them. I, I can't wait to talk about that. But uh, and what a concept. It's all coming together here. And uh, I got to ask you, you know, here we sit. Uh, this is pretty cool, right? I mean, you ever wake up and go, man, I, this is this is great. Yeah, the, the, there's definitely a part of it. My staff's been amazing. Some of the staff's been with me since 2012, which is pretty much our second full year. There's been just a network of people that have been helping me along. There's three tasting room managers, a marketing person that lives in uh, Boise, a tasting room manager who's kind of evolving into a general manager. So I, I have to give a ton of the credit to the staff over the years. It's a fun industry, great lifestyle, it's flexible. I think people like to come to work. And I guess we, you know, Carruth Sellers did create that, but I, I can't take all the credit at this point. It's just, it's become, it's, it's kind of become its own animal. Once it was turned on, it just has, it just keeps going. And we're actually looking to open up in Dana Point next year, probably the early part of next year. And then we are looking for a production facility that would help supply, provide, produce enough wine to, to feed this animal. So it's a, uh, and uh, that's kind of what we're, that's what I'm doing right now is looking for something where we, where are we going to make 20,000 cases? And if we get a place that can make 20,000 cases, we'll probably be moving into that 50,000 case range. Which will be interesting. It'd be a, but I'll still wake up and you know put my pants on in the morning. It's the same kind of the same thing, you know. Well, you're definitely onto something. Uh, I mean, I look around here and everybody's happy, everybody's smiling, everybody's drinking wine. It's a good time here at Carus Cellars in Carlsbad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what a great concept! And okay, we're gonna take a quick break, and uh, we're not getting out of here with just the Chardonnay. I mean, I I want to talk about that. I'm probably gonna revisit that and have you maybe pick. I don't know. Let's say three, three or four or five of your favorites. Let's taste through them and talk about them when we come back, all right? Very good. Yeah, sounds great. All right, Killer Chardonnay. I'm not the best guy to describe wines. I don't rate wines. I'm not a reviewer. I'm not a psalm. We're just calling it a Killer Chardonnay. Tell us about this Chardonnay. The style of Chardonnay that we're going for is kind of like halfway through malolactic, so just not to get all technical, but like the fermentation happens, you press off about 50 gallons of juice into a French oak barrel, into a, a 60 gallon barrel. So you need a little headspace, and it ferments kind of like uh, I wouldn't say beer or something like that, or like typical beer fermentations are about 10 days or 7 days or so, and so you really can't stop it. It just goes through its process and then it goes into a secondary fermentation in the barrel. So what we like to do is keep some of that kind of leanness, crisp acidity, a little bit of malic acid in there. And that's kind of what we want. That's kind of the story behind the shard. We've done mostly Russian River shards. We had a little bit of Green Valley, Carneros, Napa. That's kind of what we've done. Most years I had Russian River. We actually were getting Bacigalupi Chardonnay. And their claim to fame was that they sold their fruit to Chateau Montalena back in the 70s for them to actually get recognized by the French to put the whole Napa Valley on the map and it's a little bit of a controversial story but 
Helen Bacigalupi had the way tags to prove that story. And so we were getting that fruit in 09 all the way through 14. I had a lot of fun uh, learning how to make Chardonnay, basically. it was a, I was making red wines for 10 years before I made any white wines. It was kind of a learning curve on that. But right out of the gate, we got good fruit. And it was in the middle of the recession, so the fruit was really inexpensive. And, yeah, that's kind of a different part of the story. but And Chardonnay, a lot of times people think oaky buttery or overly oaky and buttery this one is absolutely not that as a winemaker you're always learning i went through chablis in uh, july you're going to get a lot more lean you know they grow the grapes in limestone or the you know it's like the old remnants of uh shells in a seabed that's kind of something to be appreciated big oaky kind of flabby shards are fine for some people but i'm i'm like more into that like kind of halfway in the middle where it's like halfway between stainless steel and uh oak really it's the it comes down to like how much malic acid it has in it but to get the the final result that's one of the best chardonnays in california right there my friend so everybody listening to this when you're done listening run out and grab that cruise seller's chardonnay now you got a pinot noir and this is interesting uh Oregon, the flagship, as many of our listeners know, is Pinot Noir, right? And so if you're going to get great Pinot Noir fruit, that's where you go, and that's what you did. Tell us about this. Yeah, we um, we get Pinot Noir grapes from three different AVAs. One of them's Russian River. It's like kind of the original. But then we realized that, again, an Appalachian, like Willamette Valley, has a ton of uh, abundance and quality, and the price was great. So... If you do the math and you fill up a truck, it makes more sense to go buy $2,000 Willamette Valley Pinot Noir than $4,000 Russian River Pinot Noir. The other uh, appellation that we're playing with is Santa Lucia, which is a totally distinct Pinot Noir appellation. If you come to, I'd say, to our barrel tasting, we could pro- possibly have Willamette Valley, Russian River, Santa Lucia, and you can do side-by-side and uh, kind of a horizontal to see how Cruise Sellers makes all those varietals. Adam Carruth sitting down with us on this episode of Vintage, and I have to tell you, had a great time that evening. And next time you're in Carlsbad, definitely worth your time to stop in at Carruth Cellars. And if you'd like to grab a nice dinner, great restaurant called Campfire right next door. Traveling the wine trails of the world, this is Vintage with the voice of wine, Brian Bushlack. And continuing with Adam Carruth in our tasting room segment, I think what's impressive about what Adam's doing is making a variety of wines and doing them all well. So the next wine, this is a blend, GSM, Grenache Syrah Mavedra. This is one of those bottles that we have Dry Creek Grenache, we have some Alexander Valley Syrah, and then the Mavedra or Mataro, came from Paso Robles. So we do get some Paso fruit. As a home winemaker, I was getting like Paso, Petit Syrah, Cab Franc. But um, but anyway, uh, that's our uh, rendition of a, kind of a Rome blend there. It's well balanced. I mean, when you do those blends, I mean, you talk about growth as a winemaker, right? When you get into blending, you can mess that up real quick, right, if you don't get it right. Well, luckily, you can do bench trials. 
<laughs> so, I know you're not putting stuff out without trying it. I, I mean, I get that, but I'm just saying, right? I mean, you gotta you gotta kind of figure it out, right? I've had a ton of mentors over the years, and uh, Jack Jacobson, uh, Topolos, back in the late '90s, he was like, "Well, making the wine is half of it, and blending it's the other half." So. The fermentation, most of that happens in a week, two weeks, three weeks, and then you're uh, then you have something you need to find symbiotic relationship with. So Grenache, Mavedra, and Syrah go really well together, and the French have proven that. So we we'll, we'll lay out all the barrels. We'll take you know like 50 milliliters from each one, and we'll try everything. And practice makes perfect when it comes to blending. You kind of know how to blend it together over time after I've been doing this for 21 years now. Regardless, you put together your what you think it's going to be, and you let your your staff try it. You let your customers try it. You really kind of play around with it. So everyone gets to take part in that. It's pretty interesting. Um, some people have better palates than others. Yeah, it's kind of a it's very uh, communal and collaborative effort within the within whoever's in the room gets to chime in. Well, we're rocking and we're drinking wine with Adam Carruth here at uh, Carruth Cellars in Carlsbad. What a great location this is. We'll tell you more about that here in just a bit. i got to tell you, though, for those of you who've downloaded this, we just met literally probably half an hour ago. I've been wanting to get down here and feature Carruth Cellars for a long time. Spend a lot of time here with our family in beautiful San Diego, Carlsbad. Uh, the beaches here are amazing. The food... The people, I mean, what an amazing region of the country this is. The first time we've met, and uh, I've been doing wine shows for 15 years, and I will tell you, Adam, that a lot of times I taste through several different wines, and particularly you're going from Chardonnay to GSM to, you know, Petite to, I mean, all across the board. And across the board, they're all really good. There's, you know, a lot of times there's one where you taste it and you kind of go, oh, you know, somebody kind of missed the mark on that one but you really have hit the mark with all of these wines well it's up to the winemaker to not put bad wine into a bottle so it's i think sometimes people get maybe they get frustrated with what product they have and they're like well we're just going to do this anyway blending helps a lot filtration helps a lot wine's much more forgiving than beer and uh yeah i think i don't know why winemakers sometimes put less than good or great wine in a bottle but you know it happens and um i think it seems like it's more of like a pride thing but everyone has the opportunity before they put the cork in it you know so. okay one more to go though i said that is there one more is this okay gotcha that's what i got here and i've been making that since 2005 i've been making this dry creek zen since 2005 okay. uh out of a uh, dry creek litton springs area mike mike milligan's the grower I get all of his fruit now. It's uh, he ma- he grows between like four and eight tons every year. Zin's got a great finish on it. You know, a lot of Zin. I don't I don't drink a lot of Zin, but the ones I have sometimes you kind of like will stop you a little bit, will grab you, right? You're smiling. Uh, we can't see that on a podcast, but right. So you yeah. you took the edge off of this one, right? Yeah, I mean, we try to make it balanced. We uh, we cheat a little bit. We put a little bit of petite Syrah on there. It kind of fills in the mid palate. It's traditional for uh, Zinfandel to have a little bit petite straw in there. Yeah. yeah, so it's um at least from the area that we're getting it from. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty stoked on that one and we've had again we've been making it forever. It's 
Yeah, it's the, the growers have been a big part of this. You know, they, it just, I'm gonna start drinking more years. More years in. <laughs> I'm gonna grab another one after this one. It's a. This is kind of a finisher. Petite's pretty big. Reynoso Vineyard, kind of like the top of Alexander Valley. It's kind of a monster. Well, it's a flavorful monster, though. It's not, but it's not too big, right? I mean, it's uh, it's just the right kind of big for that wine. I mean, that's. Again, not a wine that I drink a lot of. 15, 15.9% on that one. So, it's a big wine. 16. So, it's probably 16. <laughs> but, but, I mean, I'm tasting that wine, and I don't feel like I'm getting punched in the face. I mean, it, it yeah, again, well-balanced. Yeah, it should be, it should be balanced. It aged for about 22 months in French oak and... Uh, took good care of it we do very small shallow fermentations in macro bins we press it we this got pressed out through an old wilma's press so it probably got pressed out at like 160 gallons not it's not overpressed. yeah it's i think it's just kind of babied wine we take care of it if the temperature's not right outside we'll run the air conditioning or the or the chiller and uh usually this close to the ocean the humidity and the temperature is usually pretty good like right now, the wine's probably sitting at 59 degrees, I'm, I'm guessing. just Adam's going to run and grab one more wine, a bonus wine for us here. And we have a bottle with a unicorn on it. What's going on with this? That's, it's all that's on it. It's a unicorn. Yeah, it's, a little... it's an inspired bottle. We do a few different uh, donation bottles or like charitable bottles. We do the Global Mosaic Project, Laurel True created some amazing art and we put our uh, we put that on our rosé so we give uh, like about four grand a year to her um, global mosaic project that's for arts education around the world the unicorns another one of those where we were donating to the uh, uh, surfing madonna foundation after a while we were like well why don't we just do our own it's not a non-profit by any means but we treat it like a nonprofit where every year we'll we'll pick a recipient. The first round was one of our assistant winemaker uh, Mitchell got cancer, got thyroid cancer. So it was perfect timing for him. He was the recipient of that. He was the first round. We helped Puerto Rico the second round. One of our staff got in a motorcycle accident. He's somewhat of a recipient of this round. So yeah, it's just kind of a way to be like to kind of take the Nonprofit out of a benefit wine or a benefit, and uh, so and we don't have to answer to anybody. We don't have to put up with anything. We just like give the money to the person, people. So the wines here are incredible, and certainly the award for the best winery or tasting room music <laughs> goes to Carousellers as well. I mean, you've done a phenomenal job, and I know you give credit to your team. You give credit to the growers. But, hey, kudos to you for directing this project, what it's become, where you're going. I mean, it's pretty exciting. And anybody who comes into Carlsbad now, I mean, this is the place, this is like a bucket list when you stop in Carlsbad. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, uh, definitely don't miss this. Come by for a tasting. Uh, stop by campfire for some really good wood-fired food. In the morning, you can hit up Baba. The Quonset Project, where, where the Carlsbad location is, is kind of an epicenter, kind of a new Carlsbad. Carlsbad Village is just a really fun place to enjoy every uh, every month of the year. We're only about two or three blocks from the ocean. There's just great, it's a great lifestyle here. It sure is, and Carew Cellars 
at the epicenter of the wine trend in Carlsbad. As I mentioned, if you're lucky enough to download this show prior to April 12th, 2019, you can make plans for their release party that night, 6 to 9, at the Solana Beach location. Live music, food truck, and a whole lot of fun. You know Adam will be there, of course. To learn more, visit CaruthSellers.com. That's all for this download. Back to Washington and Oregon in our next episodes here on Vintage. Vintage is a presentation of Feedback Media. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. 